Thank you so much for this opportunity to be with you. It truly is a privilege and all of my work is a privilege. As the director and minister of the Unitarian Universalist Prison Ministry of Illinois, I started this job a year ago, uh, almost, and I am continually grateful for the opportunities I have to learn and grow. One of the ways that I've been growing and learning is, is deepening my understanding of the prison industrial complex. And though I've, I've always had a heart for justice, and when I interviewed for the job, I shared that enthusiasm and my enthusiasm for organizing, doing interfaith organizing and faith organizing. And I, I knew that, of course, it's terrible. Prisons and jails are awful. But I didn't really know until I actually went to a jail. Luckily, I had three months pre-pandemic, and so I began my work in having the privilege to sit in circles with women in jail. And what it's like to just even get into a jail is very convoluted and challenging. It's hard to know where you're supposed to park, where you, where you walk or roll, and when to present one's ID, what you can bring with you and what you can't. It, it's very challenging even to get in. One has to have a badge that required an application and everything takes so much effort. And here I am, someone who is not a loved one of someone who is locked up in jail trying to visit. And imagine how challenging that would be. And so there I am in this place surrounded by by bricks and barbed wire, looking around, everything is has a little patina of not having been washed very well. Just getting the sense that, that this is a place where no one wants to be. Even the people who work there don't seem to want to be there. And then to actually finally be in circle with women is what is the real privilege to have the opportunity to see how they build community amongst themselves, to lift each other up, to help each other stay and make good decisions that, that allow them to, to be healthy and whole in such a difficult, ambiguous time. Not knowing what's next around the corner, whether one is going to go to prison or be released at home, potentially be on electronic monitoring and surveillance. It is truly a very challenging time. And so I learned about what, what it feels like, just, just the tiniest bit, because I got to leave. I got to leave, whereas some people don't leave. In fact, some people are held pre-trial. I, I learned that 250,000 people in Illinois are held pre-trial in county jails. 250,000 people. I have learned that in 1970, we had, we had 200,000 prisoners in the United States. And then by the time 2016 rolled around, incarcerated in prisons and jails, it's 2,200,000 people. And that the number of people under correctional supervision, which is parole, probation, incarceration in the United States in 2018, 7 million people. 
that the percentage of people in federal prisons in our country who are people of, in the United States who are people of color is 60, almost 67 percent. And for nonviolent offenses, those incarcerated people in state prisons serving time is 47 percent. The percentage of incarcerated people in federal prisons serving time for nonviolent offenses is 92%. The number of children in the United States with an incarcerated parent is 5,700,000. So think about that little girl from the story, Missing Daddy by Mariam Kaba. And think about that story multiplied by 5,700,000. One in 12. Mothers and fathers go to prison at troubling rates. So these statistics go on and on and on, and it feels so heavy. In fact, last Saturday, we just conducted a, the first session of our Prison Industrial Complex 101 training, and it felt, it felt so good to have so many people there. 65 people attended, and will hopefully attend this Saturday too. We began to map out the Prison Industrial Complex and then to discuss its, the foundational values that underlie the prison industrial complex. And when you look at it, it turns into just this big mess. And it's so sad to see what humans have created. A whole system that just breeds more harm. When truly the intention amongst humans was that prison and incarceration was supposed to be in, in the uh, 18th and 19th century is supposed to look at some kind of a reform, that it was something good. It was outside of capital punishment or bodily harm, but truly what we have come to know that has been proven time and time again through so many studies and research is that the prison industrial complex does not truly give anyone a sense of justice. It may in a short term, but the harm is still there. The hurt is still there. And surely there are times when there is a person who needs to be separated because they are not safe and that they are not there going to harm again. But because of the culture we live in with, with TV and film depicting prison and, and jail life and, and the criminalization of people particularly attached to people of color, there's been, become this certain notion of what safety is and of what justice is. But it's not like what it is on the crime shows and law and order. And when we begin to take it into the realm of imagination, we get, begin to understand that we can imagine a world that is different, a, a nexus of systems that is different from what is happening now that is life-giving. So let's say we were to abolish the prison industrial complex, right? This idea of abolition is, is not something that's defined simply by taking away and destroying and taking down, but actually the, the, the true definition of abolition as I have understand it, and as the social geographer Ruth Wilson Gilmore describes it, is that abolition is not about absence, it's about presence, about the presence of life-affirming institutions. Prisons and jails are not life-affirming institutions. And an abolitionist framework is something that invites 
and encourages imagination. And in some circles that, that I've been listening in on and have the privilege to listen in on, police and, and prisons, that this idea of surveillance and criminalization of human beings and caging human beings is, is a failure of imagination. What once was seen as, as something that would be a humane reform, it's gone terribly wrong and it's not been doing well ever since. And the opportunity is to engage in radical imagination. Imagination at its root, which is, is truly taking a long, loving look at what is real and saying, this isn't working. How can we be a part and align ourselves with and in coalition with others who are part of that, that beautiful imagining and making real, making our love real in the world and building life-affirming institutions? and listening to those who have been recently released or even voices from what we say the inside, voices from people who are incarcerated in jails and prisons who can, who can direct us of how to help build that world that they and perhaps even we dream of. Now these notions of, of justice, it, it begins to, to shift what, what justice looks like that it's not an eye for an eye philosophy. You did me harm, so now you need to be harmed. But instead of understanding that a punitive system really doesn't ever serve that formation and that, that foment of imagination that can help build life-affirming institutions. And so that transformative justice, which is something that uh, you heard the, the poet, who is also a blogger and an organizer, and an author, Adrienne Marie Brown, she talks about transformative justice as something that, that looks to repair harm that's been done, say that there are two parties and harm has been done. It looks to do that and to, to restore that relationship, maybe not to what it was, but to, to something that is acceptable. But also to begin to look at the conditions which allowed that violence to proliferate. And so in, in my work, as I'm learning more and more, and I, and I see all of the ills of our society through learning more and more about the prison industrial complex, the dehumanization, um, institutional racism and white supremacy, uh, criminalization, over surveillance of particularly black indigenous and people of color neighborhoods. It, it, it's so awful to encounter all of that. But if I take a long loving look at the real, and I engage with my, my higher power, that spirit of love upon which I, I lean, I can begin to take a long loving look at the real and understand that, that we are truly all connected and that my liberation is wrapped up in everyone else's. And transformative justice takes that large framework and even that, as wonderful as it sounds, that we could address systems of harm and make them better, it, frankly, it feels really huge and overwhelming. And I think that is fine because some of the best reading I have seen about transformative justice tells us that it is, it is just tiny moments where we have an opportunity to be present with one another, to acknowledge that harm is done, and to also acknowledge how we might be participating in systems that do harm. 
So my work is to understand how I am participating in systems that do harm and begin to imagine participating in systems that are life affirming. And those happen in tiny moments where it's me with my child tempted to threaten, cajole, or bribe, or punish, and making a decision to do something different, to present something differently when in conflict with a loved one. Even just in that small moment, I begin to build skills towards an understanding of what, of what healing looks like amongst individuals, and then beginning to understand how to practice that in bigger places. Now I've been in congregational life for a long time and I know there are plenty of opportunities to address and look at conflict. And that conflict can be something that is generative, that takes us to a new place, that is transformative. It doesn't take us back to what was, but it takes us to something new and here's what's really hard about it. It can take us to a place that, that we never could imagine. It, it requires being in relationship with others to truly engage in what I understand as that sense of radical imagination to that edge that goes beyond where we can dream because we're doing it in coalition with other people who are unpredictable, vastly interesting, and vastly complicated, just like us. And so part of this engagement in imagination and radical imagination is understanding that we have moment to moment opportunities to engage in choices that are life affirming. And to do that time and time again, builds up our muscles. Just like when we work on being a covenanted community, we get our muscles built up and we do it in little moments so that when the big moments happen, we can address harm and be transformed through that generative life-giving process. Because harm is going to happen. Because no human being is perfect. And yet, everyone has inherent worth and dignity and we are all bound together in this interdependent web of life. And as our UUA president, Susan Frederick Gray reminds us, no one is outside the circle of love. So as we continue to explore imagination, just remember that larger circle of love that holds us all in our worthiness and in our imperfections and is conspiring on our behalf, the spirit of love inviting us to imagine what feels so huge and impossible, but to imagine ourselves through one moment at a time. Onward to building that world we dream of, listening to the voices of those most directly impacted, and working in partnership with others as we reimagine the world. Blessed be. Amen.